0: So, we start a new series. This series is going to lead us into the new year. It's going to end at the last Sabbath of December, which I think is December 30 or December 31. It's going to be a five-part series, uh, but you're saying there's seven Sabbaths left. Well, we have two guest speakers, uh, December 2, just for your information. We have Leroy Coleman, a good friend of mine and a fellow a chaplain Chaplin who works at Parker is gonna be the guest speaker here for in December two. And December twenty-three I haven't had Christmas with my family in Texas for since twenty nineteen. So I'm going to Christmas or I'm gonna have Christmas in Texas on December twenty-three. The speaker for that Sabbath is going to be Dave Martinez, Chappie as you know him. And he is very energetic. I wish I had his energy when I'm sharing a message. But you know, to each their own, right? To each their own, they have, we each have our own special skill. So that's something to look forward to. So there's, this is going to be a five-part series called A New World. A New World. So what I want you to do right now in your seats is to Reflect on a time when you came into a new environment, a new situation. Maybe it was a new job. I mean, a new job is like a new world, right? You're smiling, Nathan, because you're, you're in that new situation, right? You're in a, you, you started a new job. So blessings to you, brother. Yes, so it might be a new job. Maybe you're visiting a different country, A different country can really feel like a new world. Even though we're on planet Earth, if you hop out of USA and you go to even Mexico or even Canada, it's a different culture. How about how about this? City versus country. When I lived in or when I went to school, and I did live there for three years, when I lived in Keene, Texas. It was so small, if you blinked, you would miss the town. That's how small that town was. I think it was a total of 5,000, the population, but that's always changing because there's students that come and go, right? So Keene, Texas, this small, little, rural town, was far different from the town or the city that was right next to it in Fort Worth and Dallas, Just within 60 miles, you have this this different culture where one is very small and everyone knows each other while the other one is gigantic and you can get lost, literally, in that city, DFW, a new world. So this series is all about how we come to people in a different setting or how we enter a different setting and how we align or how we interact or how we feel about it. So when I think of a new world, here's my situation that was very, uh, it was both scary and at the same time fulfilling and exciting. It's when I was a teacher, and this is in 2012, from July 2012, into August, so end of July, all right, we went, my students and I, eight or six students, no, five students and three chaperones, uh, we, the eight of us went to Honduras, Peña Blanca, Honduras, where we, um, where we served orphans, this one is a picture of us when we are, when we were at the orphanage, Uh, the green shirts, the ones with the green shirts that says Honduras, that, those are my students or the fellow teachers that I'm with. And then these two young ladies here was from a church in Arkansas, from an Adventist church in Arkansas. We partnered up with Maranatha, and Maranatha uh, gave us the mission to build more classrooms for this school. So uh, here are more pictures, a collage of the school. I didn't want to blow them up and have one single picture for each page because then I can't send it to Jim or to Richard. So we went to this school called Adventist Bilingual Elementary School. It was a boarding school. And we got to experience life in Peña Blanca. Now, I have to say, the second that we stepped foot in that airport, I was scared. Because I was in a new place, in a new environment, in a new culture. And it didn't help that it was late at night. Sometime, I think around 11 p.m. is when we landed. I wanted to land sooner, but we just couldn't find an earlier flight. So then we met up with the dean of the school, who had two cars to pick us up with. Or at least I thought it was two cars. The first car was the car that we rode in, where we put all of our luggage then I asked the dean, I said, what's the second car for? He said, protection. I was like, protection? From what or from whom? He said, oh, you don't want to be out this late. So why are we out this late? <laughs> so, he said, well, your plane landed this late. He said, you, it's just for safety. And I said, uh, is this all the way through uh, our drive? He said, no, just for like the first 10 minutes until we're out of the city and we're into the country. So I was already scared. I was thinking, what's going to happen here? And I'm looking at my students, and I said, be on alert, guys. And then, of course, we prayed. But then all of those fears subsided the next day when we got to the campus. Why Why did it subside? Why did those fears go away? It's because the locals, the people of that school, the teachers, the parents, and the children made us feel welcome. Even though we were strangers, they made us feel welcome. How did they make us feel welcome? Well, they fed us first and foremost. That This one were empanadas and black beans and rice, and I think their version of pico de gallo, and fresh fruit. We always ate fresh fruit. And then we also got to explore waterfalls, and um, there was a church member there who uh, had a very awesome swimming pool that they invited us to swim there. And so we we got to go there. But you can see that there's differences in America to Honduras, right? For example, we don't have this type of vehicle or this t- transportation here in America. I don't even know what they call it. Uh, maybe in another culture An auto if it's... Rickshaw. Huh? An auto rickshaw, An auto rickshaw Yeah. In Philippines, we call it tricycle because that's similar in, in, in Philippines, right? We, we ride in the tricycle. And you think that tricycle can only fit two? No, we were able to fit four. And Deji, one of my beloved students, who was a center for the basketball team, fit in there with us, four of us. But we had to take two of them, I think, because there's eight of us in total. So that's us building the 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 foundation or the walls of the of the school or the classroom that we're constructing and then there's Ruben up there who at that point we finally had the roof over we entered a new world for me it was an awesome experience it was an awesome experience because the locals welcomed us with open arms They had the spirit of God. They had the spirit of love in their hearts. And that's what our key text talks about today. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 to 34, it says, And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. Of course, this is a this is including everyone, women too, you shall not mistreat that person. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him and her as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. You know me now, uh, you know me by now, that I love to break down a text. And that's what we're gonna do here today. We're gonna break it down in three major areas. The first area is the area that's highlighted in yellow. I believe this part of the passage talks about our relationship with that stranger as the host. Right? As the local that lives in that country, how are we to treat the stranger that comes into our land? The, the uh, responsibility at this point is on you and me. That's who God is talking to here. The ancient, ancient Israelites, he's giving this instruction that any stranger that dwells within your land, that lives in your land... You shall not mistreat them. If anything, you shall treat them like a citizen. But even furthermore, not just as a citizen, but you shall also love this person as yourself. All of you know that recently I became a citizen back in May. And I didn't really understand the depths of that and I didn't really appreciate it when I was still a resident. But after I was sworn in, this feeling of excitement just came into my heart knowing that now I can have the same rights as a citizen. I can also vote. I can have the same protection as other citizens, whether in, in, uh, domestically or internationally. Wherever I go, uh, as an American, I am protected by the American law and government. That got me excited, and I I started to feel like I finally belonged in this country. And that's what this phrase means, I think, where it says, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. Meaning that whoever is a stranger in your country, you treat them like a citizen as well. You give them the same rights as well. When I grew up, when I was growing up, not when I grew up, when I was growing up as a teen and into my early 20s until I moved away from Houston, there was this Chinese restaurant that my friends and I loved to eat at called Furama. Furama in Chinatown of Houston, Texas. Houston has one of the best Chinatowns ever. And of course, when I say Chinatown, it's not just Chinese cuisines or shops that you find, but it's like 10 miles of Korean, Vietnamese, Filipino, Chinese food and my favorite restaurant was Fu Rama. One day I went in there after a basketball game with my friends and we sat in somewhere in the center of the restaurant. And there were workers who were on break. And you tell me if you've noticed this in other restaurants before, okay? They were on break and they were eating the lunch. And I'm looking at the menu, and then I'm also looking at the food of other people on other tables, and their food from the menu is different from what the workers were eating. And I was astonished by this. So I asked our waiters, like, well, what are you guys eating? I want some of that. They're like, oh, you don't want that. That's boiled. It's, it's boiled or broiled. You, you want what's on the menu. I was like, why? And, and she said, well, you might find it disgusting. But I said, I want to try it because I want to be part of it. You see? I want to be part of it. I don't want any difference between us. I didn't tell her that part, but that's what I was thinking in my mind. Because I was also thinking, hey, are you giving yourselves better food and us not? You know, let, let the Americans get bigger. Because all the, the, everything in the menu that we were ordering from was, was fried or sautéed in oil, right? Uh, I mean, it was good. I'm not complaining. I love Chinese food. But, but it was not what they were having. So it's completely opposite to what God is saying here. Whatever you benefit from, they should benefit from that as well but not only giving them the same rights of the rights that you have, but you shall also love this person as yourself. That might sound familiar to you, and it should, because if you were to look into Matthew chapter 22, verse uh, verse 37 to 39, Jesus is actually quoting the verse that we're studying right now. In this passage, Jesus is speaking. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the reason why he's saying this is because a quick context is there was a young ruler who asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And here's Jesus' response. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Of course, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 here okay? He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then the next thing Jesus says, he says, and the second is just like it, meaning it's just as important. It's just as great, okay? The second is just like it. Love your what? Neighbor as yourself. Jesus is quoting Leviticus chapter 19 verse 34, but there's a difference. Did you catch the difference? The passage that we're studying, Leviticus chapter uh, 19, 33, 34, the key word is stranger. In your Bible, it might say uh, foreigner, alien. Uh, It it comes from the Hebrew word ger, ger, okay? Ger. Uh, In this text, it It uses the word, the key word here is stranger. But what does Jesus use? He changes that word from ger, from stranger, to neighbor. And why? Because neighbor has a more positive connotation to it. Neighbor is more of a personal level. Because you know your neighbor, right? You know your neighbor. My neighbor next to to my house on the right side, is uh, Mamet, and he and his wife Jilly have become great friends with Bob and Cecile, who are my in-laws, who by the way have been at Cancun for the last three weeks. I'm jealous of that. <laughs> so, but. Uh, Bob and Cecile have become great friends with Mamet and Jilly. Uh, Jilly and mom, Cecile, will will go out and crochet together, have coffee together, while Bob and Mamet will do a puzzle together. And it's happened to them twice. They finish a puzzle and there's that one last piece that's missing right? You know how that feels. It's like incomplete. And then you try your best to like draw or paint so you can fill in that spot, but then anyone can really notice that it's missing. So that's what they love to do. Across my street uh, is Adam, and I forget Adam's wife. Shame on me of uh, of being a poor neighbor forgetting uh, her name. But Adam and his wife, they have two kids the the oldest one i won't forget her name addison because that's my niece's name as well addison very fun loving and exciting and high energy children and then on the left side we have john who's never there because that's his second house it's his vacation house he bought a vacation house in colorado but lives in california do you know your neighbor Can you understand the level of impact that Jesus is making here by calling these strangers not just strangers? They're just not aliens. They're just not the other group of people, but they are truly your neighbor. If we were to read this story in Luke, actually, let me turn there right now. You don't have to turn there, but I'll give you the reference. If you go to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10 verse 25, which is our Sabbath school lesson this past week, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus has this interaction with another person who says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? So this man then says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Just this verse that we read, right? And then he also says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds and said, you have answered correctly. Now do this and live. And then what follows after that? The parable. The parable of the good Samaritan. Because Jesus understood in the hearts of the Jewish people of that time, they had prejudice towards the Samaritans. They had prejudice towards the Samaritans. Because when they heard that message that you should love your neighbor, I bet you they were just thinking, oh, my Jewish neighbor. Okay, the one that lives down the street. No, Jesus wanted to, to, uh, wanted to expand their imagination. Jesus wanted to, to be very precise and tell them the story of the good Samaritan. And you know that story well, that there was a man who was robbed on the, on the street and several people passed him by until a Samaritan was helping this Jewish man get back on his feet, to heal him from his pain, to bless him and Jesus then said this is your neighbor even the person that you can't stand the most even the person that you have prejudice towards this is your neighbor is what Jesus said so when he says love your neighbor as yourself he is quoting he's turning that idea of stranger because you know you know what stranger and 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 that word alien means, every time we use it, when I had my green card and it said "resident," uh, permanent resident green card, you know what that meant? It meant I was not a citizen. I was still part of the other group. And we as humans are great at doing that. We love to label each other as that part of the group and that person's with that group and that person is in that group. Oh, that person's an illegal immigrant. Oh, that person's a permanent resident. That person's a citizen. That person's a Republican. That person's a Democrat. That person's white. That person, we love to do that. I have to say, though, that's a sin. I'll be bold enough to say that's a sin. Why is that a sin? because it goes against the very command that we have now seen in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, as well as in the New Testament. God gave it to Moses to instruct the people, and now it's coming from Jesus' mouth himself to love your neighbor as yourself, making it personal. If you don't find someone as your neighbor, maybe the problem is with you that you're not making yourself personal to that person. Just a thought. The second point I wanted to make, and I won't, go, I won't go too much into these other points, the second point I wanted to make that I want us to look at in this text is this next highlight, is for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Why should we be kind? Why should we not mistreat the strangers, the aliens, the, our neighbor? Why should we not mistreat them? Well, because guess what? You and I were once strangers as well. What does this mean, this phrase, you were strangers in the land of Egypt? Well, God is telling the people, you were once the people who needed help as well. So you should be able to empathize with someone when they have a problem. You should be able to empathize with someone when they have a need because there has been a time in your life where you were that stranger needing help from another person. That's what that phrase means. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And the very great example that we can use here is Moses' story himself. Because you think about Moses' story, what happened to him in Exodus chapter three? I'll just summarize the story. It tells us that he grew up in Egypt. He was an Egyptian citizen. He was a prince of Egypt. Then one day, what did he do? He saw two people fighting. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so with premeditation, looking to make sure the coast is clear, Moses kills the Egyptian man, right? He kills this man, hides his body, which now at this point, Moses is a criminal. He's a criminal. And what does he do when there's wanted posters being posted everywhere? Uh, Wanted man, Moses, for killing this other guy. Moses runs away. He runs from Egypt and finally finds himself in the land of Midian, where he is a stranger. And what happens there? When he's in Midian, is he pushed out? No. Jethro, the priest of that town, of that city, of that region, brings him into his household. Now, I do want to clarify this part. I think when God tells us not to mistreat strangers, he's not telling us accept anyone to everyone. I believe we have to be we have to be able to assess is this person safe? In the ancient times, the reason why Moses and the Israelites were given this instruction was because when there is a stranger, there was a high chance that that person was an escaped slave was a criminal who was on the run. And so it was right for the people to be um, hesitant, but at the same time, they allowed their prejudice to get over their ability to assess, right? So there's a difference here. God wants us to be welcoming to strangers, to love our neighbors, but with discretion. We should still be smart about it. Now, you might say, how can you figure that out from Jethro and Moses' story? Well, what happens to Moses? Moses continues to live in the land of Jethro, in the land of Midian, right? So we don't know the full details. That's the Bible. The Bible doesn't give us the full details of the everyday life of every second of every person. It doesn't. But we can glean Context clues and the context of Moses' story is that he continues to live in Jethro's land for how many years? 40 years in the wilderness, right? He continues to live with him and not only continue to live with him, but he marries one of his daughter. And if you are a man who's going to give the hand of your daughter to this other man, I mean, we have fathers in here, I think you're going to be wise enough to say, hey, he's not marriage material, right? Or you might say, hey, he has season tickets to the Denver Nuggets? Yes, you got to marry him, right? That's how you're going to, I'm joking about that part, of course, the last part. But you're going to assess as a father. So we can come to the conclusion that the fact that Moses stayed in Midian and married one of Jethro's daughters, we could, safe t- we could be safe to say that Jethro made the assessment and said he is a safe and wonderful man. But one thing that Jethro never did is he never grilled Moses. He never put the pressure on Moses. He never uh, judged Moses. He looked at his character through his actions and he said, that's a good man. I'm going to welcome him into my home. Even though he's a stranger, he will now receive the same benefits as all the other people in my country, and he will be loved by me as if I, uh, he will be loved by me as I love my children and myself as well. That's what it means that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You and I have been in that situation before where we were the ones that needed the help of a person. So let's empathize with the stranger who comes into our circle or the neighbor that comes into our circle, remembering our own story on how we can help help them with their story at that point. The last thing I wanted to emphasize here is, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. If you were to read the entire chapter and the uh, preceding chapters and the chapters after Leviticus 19, I think you will see a total of 67 times where at the end of a command, it says, I am the Lord your God. What does that mean? Well, theologians uh, believe that, number one, this is just God signing off, right? This is a command from God. This is not a command from Moses. This is not a command from, from Aaron. This is a command from God. It, and we see it every day, To this, uh, even in our modern time. I'm sure our president... We'll say, sign off, or write down instructions, and then once you have those instructions to tell to the people, I will put my seal on on it. I will sign off on it. These are the words of the president, even though it could be read by someone else, one of his advisors or such, right? When I worked in the hospital as a chaplain, there was many times I would have to set up a, um, I'm forgetting it now, a durable, medical durable power of attorney, Okay? I would have to set that up for patients. And then I would go to the doctor and I would report to the doctor and say, we've had this conversation. This patient is, is aware enough to name her spouse or her oldest child as their power of attorney. And then the doctor, whose name is going to be signed off? Not my name. It's the doctor's name. That's, that's what's happening here. I am the Lord your God. But to further emphasize the point that we are learning here today, in context of this particular verse, I also like to point out that this is God's specific instruction for you and I to follow. A very specific instruction. Because you and I have to remember As Romans 5, chapter 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for our sins. So God is now coming to the point of saying, hey, I did this for you too. Therefore, you should do this for those who are strangers in your land. The question I have to ask us today is, How are we to the neighbors and the strangers that come into our circle? Do they feel welcomed? Or will they just come and never return? Do they see us as a support for their life, for their family? Because that's what I want us to be. I want us to be a support for them. Or do they find us... Uneasy to get along with. Of course, I'm going to tie this in with Thanksgiving because that's the holiday that's coming up on Thursday. If I were to remind you or ask you what is the meaning of Thanksgiving, would some of y'all say it's food? (laughs) Where turkey or tofurkey, whichever one you eat on Thanksgiving Day, is at the center of your table, filled with all the sides around it. What's your favorite side? Mashed potatoes? stuffing. Mine is mac and cheese and sweet potato. Yeah. See, now I'm hungry. Or maybe the point of Thanksgiving, it's not food. Maybe it's the sales that start happening around this time. (laughs) Marta's like, no way. No way, right? Maybe it's the big sales. Maybe it's the Hallmark cards. No, the first Thanksgiving will give us a lesson, a reminder of the essence of it. Um, the first Thanksgiving, it was seen by many historians, was celebrated in November 1621. And through the course of not just decades, but I think close to a century, uh, there's been some, all these changes that were made with Thanksgiving until finally, I think it was, which president was it? I'm looking at Jim because I know Jim knows a lot of trivial Lincoln made it into a holiday, but the one who said it needs to be recognized as a, as a, um, as a holiday that the government even needs to um, follow, I think it was uh, Roosevelt, Theodore. I could be wrong. But nonetheless, it was the first Thanksgiving by many historians believe it was celebrated November 1621. And the feast lasted three days. Three days of gathering. If I ask you what is the point of Thanksgiving, some people will say, Ugh, having to come together with family I fight with. Right? Can you imagine having a feast that lasts for three days with the family you fight with? And then it was attended by 90 Native Americans from the Wapanoag uh, Wapano- uh, tribe and 53 survivors of the Mayflower Pilgrims. And then I looked for a picture of this in Wall Street Journal. It has this picture from November 23, 2021. A picture where I think tells a part of the story, but also misses out on on certain things. I think maybe they were smiling, (laughs) but in this picture you don't see anyone really smiling. But what I do love about this picture is that you have a mixture of two worlds coming together. Native Americans coming together with the first settlers of this country, coming together with the Puritans, the pilgrims. And I love how I would assume that this is maybe the chief, the head of the tribe, sitting perhaps with the head of the Puritans. I love that picture, even though I don't think it shows the full picture but nonetheless it's two worlds coming together and I think that's the lesson we can get from the original Thanksgiving story is how two worlds can come together and why it's because we don't see each other as strangers but we see each other as neighbors as neighbors so when you go off to Thanksgiving this week and spend time with your family and friends, and you have that blessed meal around you, or in front of you, not around you, maybe in some houses it's around you, when you have all of those things, remember this lesson, that the essence of thanksgiving is the combination of two worlds coming together who want to be responsible Respectful of each other, who want to learn from each other, who want to love each other. May that be the lesson that you receive today. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for the holiday that's co- uh, coming upon us at this moment. We don't say thank you enough to you. We don't show gratitude to each other enough. And so I am happy that we have a day where we can set aside just to be in gratitude. And so this Thursday, as we gather together uh, with, in our respective homes with our family and, when our, uh, and with our friends, I hope and, re- uh, and pray that we remember, we recall, and we can reflect on the essence of what it means to truly be in eternal gratitude. May we remember your great sacrifice and that through your great sacrifice, we live because you died. I also pray, O Lord, that we may remember those who are less fortunate, that those who might not even have a turkey or mashed potatoes to put on the table, if there's anything that we can do for them, then, then may we be able to serve and be willing to serve for they too are our neighbor. I pray, O Lord, that we may have a heart of love and a heart that welcomes all people into our church, into our fold, into our circle, so that your kingdom, that's what it's all about, so that your kingdom may grow, because you love people and you want as many people saved for your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.